I killed Sirius Black. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 389 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. We're a day late, but for good reason. You know what, guys? We had an epic Halloween party yesterday, and we just, it's one of those things where not a lot of work gets done, and you know this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you have to sort of plan around that, and so we just got a little busy. Um... Yeah, as is true with any podcast you will download today, November 1st, the day after Halloween, you're going to get a Halloween recap for us before we go into our stuff. Um, I was actually running around like crazy doing work yesterday morning, Mm -hmm. which sucked because I was going into meetings and like I did an interview with an author for later in the year and I could hear all the fun happening outside of our little recording room. I was very saddened by it. Oh, I ended up rescheduling a meeting because... (laughs) Like, half the people were like, I can't come to this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, all of a sudden. Uh, fine. That's fine. <laughs> if, if anyone doesn't follow us on Instagram and Twitter or Overdrive on Instagram and Twitter, you're missing out because we had at least, well, the Overdrive one did a whole bunch more than, than we did, but it was a Halloween at Hogwarts setup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when, when we kind of humble brag about our office throwing the best Halloween party, like, it couldn't have been more true than yesterday. It we have this huge cafe. I guess that room is technically yeah. Called. But like it's one of those rooms where it's a huge open. Like it's a thirty foot high ceiling, and there's this giant TV and all sorts of stuff. We do like we're going to be doing company things. This isn't important to the story, but they had we had like house banners that were legit twenty feet tall for each of the Hogwarts houses, and then just the whole cafe. Were, there were, um, like, hanging candles. Yeah, we had floating candles. Yeah. We had set up the tables to look like the Great Hall. And so there were runners down each of the tables that were mm-hmm. red, green, blue, and ye- yellow. Yes. Did you notice they did that in the, the food place, too, where we got our food? Oh, did they? I didn't yeah, see they, that. There were four stations, like four, um, not stations, but four tables yeah where you could go through the buffet mm-hmm. and they each one were that's were amazing Potter. yeah so we uh we were like a quidditch section yeah was... they, they did a whole like they did a quidditch class um we did, did yes I, I will say speaking of the food really quickly so as a vegetarian i one of my favorite things to eat is mashed potatoes but my wife doesn't like mashed potatoes so i never make them so my entire meal yesterday was mashed potatoes and corn i just like ate the biggest mound of mashed potatoes because I, oh, I was excited well, when I saw go. that. Yeah, I was excited. Um, but yeah, no, there was Dementors and there was like they had a mini like Gringotts thing with all of the um, oh my goblins. goblins. Jesus. Uh, but they were like creepy goblins that were actually like full size. They were still down there this morning which they is are. pretty upsetting. I wasn't expecting the that. The candles were still down there. Yeah, they can't. I just, they, they should just leave They should the just candles. keep the banners and the floating candles. Mm-hmm. Um, the car, the Ford, um, Anglia. Anglia, it's just like there was an actual one, well, not with, like an actual car, but right, but with working headlights, yeah, the whole place. And so, we did a uh, three costume contests non Harry Potter division, Harry Potter division, and then like a group one. Um, we have a lot of Bellatrixes in this, there's a lot of Bellatrixes. There were multiple Dolores Umbridges, yes, and they were very good, they were all very good. 
Um, later yeah. years, later years, Harry Potter. <laughs> later like, years, Harry Potter. I was trying to describe that to my husband. Out of like, shape and like stains on his shirt. That's yeah. very funny. He's like, yeah, being a wizard cop's not quite as all it's cracked up to be later. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but shout out to Paul, who's the guy who puts everything together for our office about, about the parties. Uh, he went in serious black and his wife, who he met at Overdrive, and they have since gotten married because our office is adorable. Mm. Uh, she went as one of the Bellatrixes. And so when we do the, like, we have everyone say what they are, and then they we do an applause-o-meter. It's very scientific. But, like, instead of her saying who she was, she's just running around yelling, I killed Sirius Black. And I was like, I, have, I like, MC it, and I was laughing so hard. It was so oh, funny. Oh, God, it was hilarious, y'all. It was, I uh, can't even tell you. So it was, like I said, go look on Overdrive's uh, Instagram and Twitter and stuff. Um, just... I don't know what they're gonna do to top that next year. I don't know. That's like the that, honestly, like that's like the apex thing you can do at Overdrive. Pretty much like Halloween at Hogwarts. Halloween, Halloween at Hogwarts. Um, and then I joked about this yesterday, but we had a lovely fall here in Cleveland. Uh, and then this morning on November first, we woke up to snow on the ground. Yeah, we did. It was as if they were waiting for Halloween to happen, and then it happened. Then winter. Yeah. So happened. I was like, all right, cool. Yes. So it's November first. Which means we're doing our November books. So in case people are new, do you want to kind of explain what we do here? It's pretty straightforward. Sure. So every month, um, Adam and I go through the list of books that are coming out this month and pull some that sound really good to us. We don't go over our lists in advance, but we've been doing this long enough that we're usually pretty good about not picking ones that the other will. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to worry about writing them down. They will all be in the show notes always an important one um, <laughs> um i think there were several that i ended up like putting on my like and yeah. i gotta like, go through my holds list as yeah well. i know i this was a unique month for me because a couple of the books i've already read and one of the books that i've already read i wasn't allowed to talk about until november and i also read it true. in like may so i've been dying to talk about it but then there was a few others that were sent to me out of nowhere that i was like oh i didn't know this came out in november and then i had to do some digging for the other ones um I have like nine ish seven seven okay all right well i'll start i'll go quickly for the first one uh it's the starless sea by aaron morgenstern the reason i'm going to go quickly is because we're releasing this on friday monday's episode is an interview with aaron um I will be brief and say that I read this back in July and it's still I, I think I still think it's the best standalone book I've ever read. It's incredible. So we'll do more of an intro uh, about it for Monday's episode. And then I interviewed Aaron. But The Starless Sea comes out uh, Tuesday, November 5th. And you need to go get it. Erin wrote The Night Circus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she wrote The Night Circus. Originally, the original draft was during NaNoWriMo. Indeed it was. And currently it is NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Um, do, are you doing it? I saw that. I think I, I saw your tweet. I doing it, yeah. How'd you do this morning? I did okay. I got about 300 words in, 50, in 10 minutes. So I'm off to a good You're so start. good at writing sprints. I do writing sprints. That's all I do. Yeah, you kick ass at those. But Erin, um, like, I just think she owns November. She... the. Uh, she wrote The Night Circus in uh, November. I believe it came out in a November, and then The Starless Sea is coming out this November. So go get it. That's my first one. The Starless Sea, we'll talk about it more on Monday's episode. So. Yeah, my first one's going to be quick, too, because it was one that we had previously mentioned because there was some misinformation. <laughs> I saw that. Okay. Was it? I So I think it was the September books episode. Yeah. I'm where not, we didn't goof. We did goof. not goof. Yeah. 
There was some misinformation. Um, but The Witches Are Coming by Lindy West um, is coming out. It's her follow-up to Shrill. Um, I love Lindy. And, again, yeah, in one of the previous month's episodes, there was some misinformation in terms of when the publication date was. I think we were – it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But it is actually coming out in November. Mm-hmm. It's been pre-ordered, which means it will be coming at my house on Tuesday. It will be great. Yeah. I, we got some messages about that too. I don't remember which like platform, but someone was like, "When does that book come out?" Yeah, and I was like, mm. "Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. officially coming out now. This is the actual right time for it. Is November fifth? Yeah. Um, my next one. I'll be quick about this one too because she's also going to be on the podcast later. Uh, the Queen of Nothing by Holly Black is coming out, and it is the third book in her Folk of the Air series. So, if you like the Cruel Prince. Um, that the, these books are just magical as hell. They're so, so fun. Um, there's the Cruel Prince and the Wicked King were the first two. And then the Queen of Nothing comes out in the middle of this month and Holly's, uh, going to be on the show. I interviewed her. Uh, the reason I'm excited to, to talk about it a little bit more is because they sent me an advanced reader copy in the middle of the year and, this was well publicized as a book that had no advanced reader copies going out. And I was like, oh, they probably did like a like a thousand or two thousand of them. And no, they made 100 copies of this book and sent me one, which was incredible. And it came with the opening and the, the first page was a note that was like, quote unquote, written by the Queen of Fairies. I was like, by opening this book, you agree not. To. It was like this whole fairy pledge. It was adorable. But that was the cute part. The um, the stern, like, seriously, don't tell anyone you read this book part is they numbered it and put my name on the book. And we're like, if this sh- turns up somewhere else, we know that you are number 82 and you gave it to someone else. So. You couldn't even talk about it. I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I had it. Nothing. Um, people behind the curtain, my wife read it because she's like, I'm not waiting till November. And, and she's not on any social media other than Instagram. So she wasn't going to share it. But um, it's so good. The whole series is amazing. Um, this is one of those where I think it's like a 1.5 million print initial run. It's absurd. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. So Queen of Nothing by Holly Black. I'll talk more about it, I think, later in the month when she's actually on. But I finally get to talk about it. I've been like quietly at my – I've had to like hide the book, which is ludicrous. So That is a little silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next one is The Guinevere Deception by Kirsten White. Is it on your list? That's okay. I was wondering – We both got this. Okay. So um, – Princess Guinevere has come to Camelot to wed a stranger, the charismatic King Arthur. Naturally, of course. (laughs) Um, With magic clawing at the kingdom's borders, the great wizard Merlin has conjured a solution. He has sent Guinevere to be Arthur's wife and his protector from those who want to see the young king's idyllic city fall. The catch, Guinevere's real name and her true identity is a secret because she is a changeling. Mm -hmm. A girl has given up everything to protect Camelot. To keep Arthur safe, Guinevere must navigate a court in which the old, uh, including Arthur's own family, demand things continue as they have been. And the new, those drawn by the dream of Camelot, fight for a better way to live. And always in the green hearts of forests and the black depths of lakes, magic lies in wait to reclaim the end. Oh, God. So this is the first book in the Camelot Rising trilogy. Anna. So, yeah, we, Jill and I were both sent copies of this, like, separately, like, separately, mm-hmm. and they didn't tell us ahead of time. The, I, we're obviously, we work for a digital company, but if you wanted, if you're into purchasing books that look beautiful, mm-hmm. this, it's, like, gorgeous. Um, also, Kirsten is one of the authors, like, we've never 
interviewed. I don't but think we have, but her books come up all the her time. Her books come up all the time, and I believe she follows us on Twitter, and like because I interact with her pretty frequently. So I told her, I was like, I'm so excited to read this, but you really missed the boat with this Camelot Rising trilogy as the name because I told her it should be the Gwyniverse. The Gwyniverse. <laughs> and she like responded with like a. Come on. What are you doing? Wait, good. Well, I mean, plus you're just assuming that Guinevere is going to be like in the entire trilogy. Maybe at some point it switches to somebody else and then the Guinevere wouldn't work anymore. That's fair. Just feels like a missed opportunity. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. Um, <laughs> I, I there think, might be practical reasons. <laughs> I think you might have this one, but um, Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. I almost put it on, but did not. Okay. All right. So uh, Jenny Slate is hilarious. She... I'm trying to think what she's probably best known for. Yeah. I, I learned about her originally in Parks and Rec um, because she is John Ralphio's sister in Parks and Rec. Um, she's the one who says, money, please, which is a very popular gif. But um, she also does voices in Big Mouth. She did Marcel the Shell with shoes on. She's the Marcel the Shoe. Oh, my Marcel God. Marcel the Shell. She did. That was like her first thing. Was yeah, Marcel the Shell? Yeah, she did Marcel the Shell. Oh, I love that That's, video. Yeah. Um, anyway, she wrote a book called Little Weirds. It's nonfiction. It is all essays, um, and it's just humorous essays that are things like uh, an essay about a dog who appears in dreams as a spiritual guide, or um, the ghost of a sea captain, or a French kissing rabbit, and like they just sound really fun. Um, and the fact that this is the first thing that she's ever released as a book. And here are some blurbs that she got. Uh, Mindy Kaling, Amy Sedaris, John Mulaney, and George freaking Saunders. <laughs> sure. That's a really big mix of uh, people there. Yeah. So this just this feels like one of those books that I'm going to borrow or buy it um, and then just like enjoy during the holidays when I'm home, um, just like sitting on a couch, ignoring a, a basketball game or something. Sure. So that's Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. Um, my next one is our friend Penny Reed has one coming out. We need to bring her back on. We do need to bring her back on. So this is book seven in the Winston Brothers series. It is called Beard Necessities. <laughs> She's got the best titles. The best titles. Um, so this is um, the story of Billy and Claire. <clears throat> it's sort of like a second chance at love for them. Um Cruelty and circumstances tore them apart almost 20 years ago. Secrecy and bitterness kept them separated. But you know who's tired of their stubbornness and separation? Everyone, especially <laughs> the Winston brothers. <laughs> so so um, they kind of play interference on making sure these two lovers uh, find each other again. Um, it is a second chance for romance, and it brings back the entire Winston game, playing Cupid one in one last story of love, hijinks, and family collusion. This is perfect timing for our co-worker, Emma, who is getting ready to have a child. She is. And she loves... She loves Penny's books, I think, more than just by anybody. She was like, she was the, I think she was like the catalyst in this office of getting. She and Megan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she and Megan. Yeah, getting like just so many people to read these books. Um, they're so good. Yeah, that's what I see. Ugh. I've never read any of them. They're so good. Um, but that they're on my list too. Like I tell people that if you, even if they're romance, but mm-hmm. they're not what you would sort of, they're very quirky. They're like romantic comedies. Um, they're just very fun. The characters are delightful. Mm-hmm. They have fun names. <laughs> they do. They're lovely names. And she does. Uh, she, I think she still does all the covers herself. I and, believe she does. And they're so fun. And as they're well. so fun because they look like the cross stitch mm-hmm. um, uh, pattern, whatever yeah. thing. 
Uh, my next one is All American Muslim Girl by Nadine Jolie Courtney. Uh, I haven't read this one yet, so I'm going to just read you the description. Uh, Allie Abraham has it all going for her. She's a straight-A student with good friends and a close-knit family, and she's dating popular sweet Wells Henderson. One problem, Wells' father is Jack Henderson, America's most famous conservative shock jock, and Allie hasn't told Wells that her family is Muslim. It's not like Allie's religion is a secret. It's just that her parents don't practice and raised her to keep it to herself. But as Allie witnesses Islamophobia in her small town and across the nation, she decides to embrace her faith, study, practice it, and even face misunderstanding for it. Who is Allie if she sheds the facade of the perfect all-American girl? So, it's, uh, it's YA. It's a YA romance, but um, and it just seemed like, you know, anytime I can read a book that is seems like it's talking about some of the things going on like in our country and the world but not like overtly a non-fiction like here's why everything is terrible book i'm all for it because pretty much um i build out all of the lists on overdrive.com and one of the ones i do every week is the new york times bestsellers list and uh the new york times bestsellers non-fiction list always just bums me out what like what's on there and i'll just i'll leave it at that but yeah. it's like every time i'm like oh well, there's another one coming out that I did not put on my list. Yeah, That's I, probably going to be on there. Yeah, something tells me neither of us put it out there. <laughs> did not, did not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my next one is Sisters of Shadow and Light by Sarah B. Larson. So Zuhara and Anara have grown up in the citadel of the Paladins, an abandoned fortress where legendary magical warriors once lived before disappearing from the world, including their paladin father the night Anara was born. On that same night, a massive magical head grew and imprisoned them within the citadel. Sure. <laughs> massive magical head. Yeah. So, no, it worked for me. Uh-huh. So, um, Inara inherited their father's paladin power. Her eyes glow blue, and she is able to make plants grow at unbelievable rates. But she has been trapped in her own mind because of a roar that drowns everything else out, leaving Zuhara virtually alone with their emotionally broken human mother. For 15 years, they have lived trapped in the citadel with little contact from the outside world until a day a stranger passes through the hedge and everything changes. Oh, man. This is one of those books I immediately put on my holds list when I uh, yeah. read the description. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if there's an audiobook coming out of that as well? I don't know. Okay, that's I don't remember. And what was the name of that one? Sisters of Shadow and Light. It has a really cool cover. I'm, I'm, like as we speak i'm gonna look this up it's just the magic of podcasting sisters of shadow and light sorry everyone i might leave this in or i might edit it out we'll see i just want to see this cover while we're talking um oh man yeah that's super cool Isn't i love that cool? it and there is going to be an audiobook okay that's and exciting. yeah it's got that kind of Sort of like an old fashy type, like mm-hmm. I can't really describe it, but I'm yeah. very excited. Um, I also love the names Zuhara and Anara. Those mm-hmm. are good sister names. They are good sister names. Uh, my next one is The Innocence by Michael, I want to say Crume is how he says his last name. Uh, this is, so from prize-winning author Michael Crume comes a spellbinding story of survival in which a brother and sister con- confront the limits of human endurance and their own capacity for loyalty and forgiveness. So there's a brother and sister, they're orphaned in an isolated cove on Newfoundland's northern coastline. Uh, their home is a stretch of rocky shore governed by the feral ocean, by the relentless pendulum of abundance and murderous scarcity. Uh, still children with only the barest notion of the outside world, they have nothing but a family boat and little knowledge passed on haphazardly by their mother and father to keep them alive. So 
no idea where this is going to go, if it's going to be for them trying to escape or if they're trying to make the most out of their world. But um, just looks really, really, in a, uh, really, really good. And also, when I saw that it was Newfoundland, um, we were talking about Come From Away mm-hmm. a while ago. So Come From Away is this amazing Broadway show about this small town called Gander, <clears throat> voice cracks, called Gander. Uh, in Newfoundland that when uh, 9-11 happened, they had to divert a bunch of planes that they weren't allowed to land in New York City or anywhere else in the the United States. So they sent a bunch of people to Gander. It's a town of like 8,000, and they took on something like 15,000 people. So there's this incredible Broadway uh, musical about it. This is all to say that when I saw a book that was based in Newfoundland, I was actually looking for like this couple weeks ago, I think I was like bothering you. I was like, "Do do you have come from away? It came from a book. And then I saw one about uh, Newfoundland, so that struck my attention. So The Innocence, I'm looking forward to that by Michael Crumet. So my next one is The Great Pretender by Susanna Cahalan. I mentioned Susanna, I think, recently in the... Which episode did we do? I mean, like, what was... What was October? Was that what you were going to say? Not October. I mean, yeah, it was in October. Like the there was a nonfiction one we did, or Strange but True. Yes, Yes. I mentioned um, her book Brain on Fire in the Strange but True episode last week. I should have remembered that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Was that only last week? It was only last week. Okay, so the Great Pretender. um, So for centuries, doctors have struggled to define mental illness. How do you diagnose it? How do you treat it? How do you even know what it is? In search of an answer, in the 1970s, a Stanford psychologist um, named David, David Rosenham and seven other people, sane, normal, well-adjusted members of society, went undercover into asylums around America to test the legitimacy of psych- uh, psychiatry's labels. Forced to remain inside until they'd proven themselves sane, all eight emerged with alarming diagnoses and even more troubling stories of their treatment. Rosenhan's watershed study broke open the field of psychiatry, closing down institutions and changing medical uh, mental health diagnosis forever. I can't read today. Um, <laughs> but as Cahalan's explosive new research shows, very little in the saga is exactly as it seems. What really happened behind those closed asylum doors, and what does it mean for our understanding of mental illness today? Oh. So, yeah, 1970s asylums, and you just, like, lock yourself in there. Yeah. My good, this is so much. I'm pretty more, sure this is the other book I put on. I was my gonna whole say list. this is so much more of a Joe book than an Adam book. Good lord. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure that was the other one. Yeah, let, like, me, oh, yeah let me put that on hold. Let me know how that is because I'm I'm not gonna read that one. It sounds I mean, really I good. I don't know. But. Like I think yeah, there was a there was a book that came out a couple years ago about um, the history of is it Bedlam is the the well known psychiatric unit in New York or whatever. And so yeah, I don't know. I think. It's just one of those things. Oh, no. Yeah. It, the book sounds really good, but I also think there are books where it's like, that sounds amazing. I'm going to read that. And then there's other books where like, that sounds amazing. That will destroy my heart if I read it. And oh, just, that's fair. Yeah. I, I'm all about the destroying heart. I things. know. I A lot of times <laughs> I like find myself actively avoiding like even like long form articles and stuff that make me sad. I'm just like, I don't sometimes I don't. Oh, no. I lean right into that. I know. I, that's like our difference. Like, lean right into well, it. Well, like a perfect example is um, I used to, I would go to this website, Deadspin, like every single mm-hmm. day. And if people People have seen in the news. Um, Deadspin is was is was a sports and pop culture type of a website, sort of like The Ringer, but more uh, snarky and maybe a little bit more crude. Uh, they were purchased by a conglomerate. Basically, the site is changing a lot, and all of the writers that I love on that site, I would go there every day. 
all put in the resignation because they were told to stick to sports when a lot of them write incredible stuff about society. So the past couple of days, they've all been writing these almost like eulogies about mm-hmm. like what that's been meant to them. And like, I'm like forcing myself to read them. I'm like, no, I love these writers. I need to see their thoughts. But it is. Every time I see something like that, I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to make me sad. I don't mind sad movies. I'll like dive right in. But sad books, I'm like, okay, I should read this, but it's going to hurt me. So. Whereas you just jump right into those. I do. <laughs> Got a whole sack of them. Yeah. Just keep on. I don't know. Like for me, as someone who struggles with depression and, and anxiety, books that talk about that, I love. I mm. mean, it's, hello, I have a bell jar tattoo. I mean. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. There are many, many books out there. Fiction, nonfiction, anything about like institutions. I'm kind of, I lean into it and I'm all in. You having a bell jar tattoo and me having a Mad Hatter tattoo, I feel like perfectly describes us. That probably sums um, it up, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think you're right, though. If I, I feel like, because I also kind of struggle with mental health stuff, I feel like if I read books more like the ones that you do, I probably would be like, I feel like I'd end up being in a better headspace a lot of times when I'm not. Because I'm like, I try to shy away from like, I don't want to think about all those things when in reality, I should be thinking about all those yeah, things. Yeah, see, I don't times. do that. Yeah. My logical side is like, no, we need to understand more about this. Yeah. So that's why we read those books. No, your logical side is right. My illogical <laughs> side is wrong. Um, my next book is It's Gary Shandling's book by Judd Apatow. Uh, so Judd Apatow put this together, but it's a lot of uh, the notebooks and stories and diaries and things of Gary Shandling. So the uh, Gary Shandling was this incredible comedian. He did stand-up comedy. He um, created the Larry Sanders show, uh, which I think was like the, it's still like the funniest sitcom ever. It's basically like 30 Rock and Curb Your Enthusiasm and all those shows before all of them. Um, he, but also in addition to being hysterical and a genius like he was kind of like a godfather for comedians and people went to him and like asked him advice and all this stuff and he he always seemed despite being massively successful he always we're talking about mental health Mm -hmm. um gary shandling was one of these people who he was always unsure of himself and again despite being like an award-winning guy and wildly successful he was always worried about like what's coming next and what if all this falls apart so he wrote a lot about all of that um and there was an hbo documentary called the zen diaries of gary shandling where Judd Apatow kind of went into, because they were like best friends and he went into Shandling's life and all this stuff. So this is uh, a book that goes deeper into that and takes a look at some like never before seen scripts and jokes and things that Gary Shandling had. So I'm very excited about it. I was very sad when he passed away and um, he's an, he was a hilarious human being. So excited for that. It's literally called It's Gary Shandling's Book. <laughs> Uh, so my next one is The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell. Got to have some thriller on there, of course. Yes, yes. So soon after her 25th birthday, Libby Jones returns home from work to find the letter she's been waiting for her entire life. She rips it open with one driving thought, I'm finally going to know who I am. She soon learns not only the identity of her birth parents, but also that she is the sole inheritor of their abandoned mansion on the banks of the Thames in London's fashionable Chelsea neighborhood worth billions. Okay, we're already we're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Orphan inherits mansion. This is going to go really, yeah, really well. Let's go. 
Here for it. This is great. Okay, so everything in Libby's life is about to change. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I bet. Um, but what she can't possibly know is that others have been waiting for this day as well, and she is on a collision course to meet them. 25 years ago, police were called to 16 Chain Walk with reports of a baby crying. When they arrived, they found a healthy 10-month-old happily cooing in her crib in the bedroom. Downstairs in the kitchen lay three dead bodies, all dressed in black, next to a hastily scrawled note. And the four other children reported to live at the place were gone. Is, so, there we go. That sounds great. It's like a creepy thriller version of um, Blank Check or, Rick, or Richie Rich. One of the two of those. <laughs> it's Blank Check. Blank Check, right? Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I can't, I can't. I love that movie. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I thought about the movie Blank Check, but as soon as you were like, yeah, a, a young kid goes and inherits a mansion and... I was just like, blank check. And then you're like, murders and death and a happy baby. I'm like, murder, blank I check. Wore, <laughs> warned you it was a thriller, but um, <laughs> uh, good old blank check. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really good. What was the name of that one again? The Family Upstairs. That sounds super good. Um, my next one is The Book of Lost Saints by Daniel Jose Older. Um <clears throat> So I'll read you the description for this one as well. Uh, Marisol vanished during the Cuban uh, Revolution and disappearing with hardly a trace. Now, shaped by atrocities long forgotten, her tenacious spirit visits her nephew, Ramon, in modern-day New Jersey. Her hope that her presence will prompt him to unearth their painful family history. Ramon launches into a haphazard investigation into the story of his ancestor, unaware of the forces driving him on his search. Along the way, he falls in love faces a run-up with a murderous gangster, and uncovers the lives of the lost saints who helped Marisol during her imprisonment. So I am all for ghosts of people helping uh, family uncover things. This this very much feels like a Zorata Cordova book, like um, Labyrinth Lost, like those those books a little bit. So that's The Book of Lost Saints by Daniel Jose Older, and it's um, fantasy slash literature. Okay, so this is my last one. Mm-hmm. It is The Revisioners by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. So in 1925, Josephine is the proud owner of a thriving farm. As a child, she channeled otherworldly power to free herself from slavery. Now, her new neighbor, a white woman named Charlotte, seeks her company, and an uneasy friendship grows between them. Because Charlotte has also sought solace in the Ku Klux Klan, a relationship that jeopardizes Josephine's family. Nearly 100 years later, Josephine's descendant, Ava, is a single mother who has just lost her job. She moves in with her white grandmother, Martha, a wealthy but lonely woman who pays her grandchild to be her companion. But Martha's behavior soon becomes erratic, then even threatening, and Ava must escape before her story and Josephine's converge. This is really good. Mm-hmm. I'm all, I would read that one as well. Pretty sure I'll put this one on hold. I put a lot on hold. Yeah, I know. I did the same. Um, my last one is called Mary Toft or the Rabbit Queen by Dexter Palmer. Did you see this book? I don't think so. Okay. The cover is very interesting. But, What's the title again? Uh, it is called Mary Toft or the Rabbit Queen. And yes, there is a semicolon and a comma in this book title. Yes. That is a flex. Okay. This is historical fiction. So it's based off something that actually happened. Which, and the description is wild. Uh, from highly acclaimed author of Version Control... A stunningly, a stunning, powerfully evocative new novel based on a true story. In 1726, in the small town of Goldeming, England, a young woman confounds the medical community by giving birth to dead rabbits. Okay, we're putting this on hold right now. Yeah. 
So, Surgeon John Howard is a rational man. His apprentice Zachary knows John is reluctant to believe anything that purports to exist outside the realm of logic. But even John cannot explain how or why Mary Toft, the wife of a local farmer, manages to give birth to a dead rabbit. When this singular event becomes a regular occurrence, John realizes that nothing in his, in his experience as a village physician has prepared him to deal with a situation as disturbing as this. I would think not. He, he writes to several preeminent uh, surgeons in London, three of whom quickly arrive in the small town, ready to observe and opine. When Mary's plight reaches the attention of King George, Mary and her doctors are summoned to London, where Zachary experiences for the first time a world apart from his own small town existence and is exposed to some of the darkest corners of the human soul. This sounds wild. I have so many questions. I have so many questions, and the more of the description I read, I only had more and more questions. And the cover is a super again, it's like crazy. Um, so that's Mary Toft or the Rabbit Queen, and I, I feel like I'm either going to love or be terrified about by Probably. this book and no in between. Um, yeah, so that's my whole list. It worked out well because we both had Guinevere, yeah. Gwen- the Guinevere's. Okay. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. Uh, there we have our email, which is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And you can eat, you can go on our Twitter, which is at probooknerds. And so is our Instagram. And you're going to want to do that, especially because next week we're going to be doing a giveaway, which is very fun. So um, anything else that you think people should know about? I don't think so. Okay. Sorry this was a day late, but sorry, guys. How, uh, I overdrive's halloween party takes precedence over all work yeah priorities so um all right well i hope you guys enjoy this uh november picks episode of the professional book nerds podcast readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcasts.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by adam sokol and jill grunewald and presented by rakuten overdrive for more information visit professionalbooknerds.com Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.